0: Straight up 6 o'clock, by my watch, means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for joining me. My name is Jason Martin. I am on Twitter at jmartzone. I am also blessed beyond all reasonable or even unreasonable measure. And I hope that you recognize that you are as well. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045, 737-1045. Ryan A. Mudd, behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me this evening. We're going to talk about social media tonight, which I have talked about many times on this show in relation to things that Adam Silver said to Bill Simmons on his podcast over the weekend. Talk maybe a little LeBron James, a little Antonio Brown on this show today. But we got to start with the Vols, just like I started with them on Friday. And I laid out the case for why mentally something needed to just change for this Tennessee team. Because it seemed like Kentucky stole a bit of their soul in that game in Lexington. They were physical, they muscled them, they made every shot. Tennessee seemed to lose a bit of its swagger in that game, and it carried over against LSU. It even carried over, I think, against Ole Miss middle of last week. They needed something to remind themselves of the positive potential that existed for this group. Even if they couldn't win, against Kentucky. Even if they weren't able to get the job done, they could not get blown out. They had to play them tough, and they had to play them the way Tennessee plays basketball, which is not a finesse game. It is a power game. It is a physical game. It is a game where, look, you dare the officials to blow the whistle, but you let them know right off the bat, this is going to be an aggressive day. This is going to be a physical day in the paint, and it's not going to be easy for anybody in terms of just being a dainty kind of basketball game. And so what happened at Thompson Bowling Arena in front of a sellout crowd on Saturday? Well, one thing that happened was I was there and it was quite an atmosphere. First time I've ever seen a Tennessee basketball game in that building. First time I've ever seen them play, I believe, in person. Certainly this group, first time I've seen them play in person. And it was was something else. And from the jump, Kentucky did not look like the same team. And I'm not even going to talk about Reed Travis missing the game and what impact he would have had. John Calipari said, look, they whipped our butts. That's what he said after the game. But he did make the point that without Reed Travis, they were going to have to play perfectly to win the game. I don't think Reed Travis would have made a difference had Tennessee played this way. Now, they might have had a lot more difficulty playing if Reed Travis had been able to play. But the truth of the matter was, I'm not saying they listened to my show on Friday, but they did what I suggested they should do if they wanted to win this game, which is muscle these guys around and be the bullies in the yard. They were bullied in Lexington. In Knoxville, they punked Kentucky. That is the verb that needs to be used here. They beat their brains in. This was a magnificent performance at a time Tennessee desperately needed it. For the psychological purposes that often are more important than what's happening on the floor. You have to feel good about yourself as we enter the month of March. And we are in March right now. The SEC tournament is right around the corner. Two more games remaining in the regular season. The first coming up against Mississippi State later this week. And then a finishing game against Auburn. And then it's SEC tournament time. And maybe you're going to see these Kentucky Wildcats again. If there's one thing that I did not think Maybe you should have done at the end of that game is Admiral Schofield going for that dunk because you just don't want them to remember that if they're Kentucky. I mean that game that that point didn't count, but if you just dribble that ball out, mm, I don't know. Maybe you don't make them mad, but you can make you can create bulletin board material out of stuff like that. I don't think that you necessarily needed to do it, but at the same time they were caught up in the same moment. Everybody in that building was. We were all excited watching everything that the Vols team was doing on Saturday afternoon. Grant Williams and Jordan Bone. Real tough move for them, man. Just lost by one. 52-51. So close to beating Kentucky, those two players alone. Jordan Bone was something else. Watching him, watching the way he handled the basketball, broke guys down off the dribble, made jumper after jumper... And every time that Tennessee needed a shot to stop a run, you saw a couple of miniature runs coming from Kentucky where they would score six in a row and the 20 would drop down to 14 or the 17 would drop down to 11. And then Jordan Bone would hit a three or Jordan Bone would get it down low to Grant Williams and Grant Williams would do some of his magic or he'd get to the free throw line and he would do some of his magic there. He was eight of 11 was Grant Williams from the charity stripe. He took... More free throws than anybody not named P.J. Washington. And P.J. Washington went 9 of 13, but P.J. Washington didn't have the same kind of game that he had in Lexington. And Admiral Schofield said, we can't play afraid of him like we did in Lexington, which basically means, yeah, they had no answer for him, and they were a little timid trying to play against him down low. They banged him around and made it difficult on him. He had 13 points in the game. Nine of them came from the free throw line. 0 for 2 from 3, 2 for 6 from inside the arc. It was not a virtuo performance, for sure. Matter of fact, nothing is a virtuo performance, because that's not a word. It was not a virtuoso performance, is the correct uh, terminology there. They shot 31.8% from the field, did Kentucky in a the game. They shot 26% from three. They shot 65% from the free throw line. Tennessee, 43.5%, 364 from three. And not great from the line, 64.3. They left some points on the board on some front ends of some one-on-ones, or one-on-ones. The officiating was not great. There was a major foul discrepancy in both halves that favored Kentucky. They ended up sort of evening it out in the first half. At one point you look up, there were eight fouls, I think, on Tennessee and two against Kentucky. And uh, more than two of those were not good calls at all. And then all of a sudden, Kentucky got called for three or four pretty quick ones in a row. They balanced it out, and the crowd kind of backed off the refs, you suck Chan. This was a day where everything went right for Tennessee. Jordan Bone, 27. Grant Williams, 24. Nobody else had more than nine points, and that was Bowden. There was only one real liability out there. Now, Kyle is not playing very good basketball right now, but can we have a... Mild conversation here. Just the two of us, you know, you and me. Me behind the microphone, you listening to me. Can we have a talk about Fulkerson and whether or not he should actually be on the floor at all? This dude could not stay up. Like, he fell down multiple times without anyone around him. And it wasn't injuries. It wasn't non-contact injuries. It was just fumbling and falling. He handed the ball away at least twice. He was dreadful. He didn't even get called for a turnover, but I saw him turn the ball over more than once in the game. Every time he was on the floor, I was wondering why Kentucky didn't immediately challenge him. Another big problem that Kentucky ran into this game or ran into in this game was that Richards got in foul trouble early. I mean, Kentucky dealt with some foul trouble, but Richards ended up with three. We start the second half, and I say, "All right, if I'm Tennessee, I go right at that guy." and make him decide if he wants to play aggressive or if he needs to back off because they're going to need him later on in the game. And the very first thing that happened was that Jordan Bone went went to his right, went straight down the painted area, and dared Richards to make a play, and Richards couldn't make a play. Richards kind of didn't want to make contact there, and Richards ended up getting a terrible fourth foul. I'm not saying a terrible call, a terrible decision on his part on a loose ball over near the corner where he should have kept his hands down. This was a game where Tennessee was the aggressor. Even though they didn't shoot it well when the game first started, it looked really bad. They were taking a couple of bad shots. And then they settled down, and this was the performance that Ball's fans needed. It's the performance that Rick Barnes needed to preach to his kids, look, this is the team that we are. This is how we win. We rebound the ball. We shoot it efficiently. We work the shot clock when we get the lead. And we make it just nasty on the defensive end. If they want to come into the paint, they're going to pay for it. They'd better be able to make shots from the perimeter. And Kentucky absolutely could not do that at any point in this basketball game. This was the best I've seen them play all year. It was the worst I've seen Kentucky play in a long time. And I think much of that has to do with how Tennessee played them. The best possible result that Tennessee could have had in this game, I mean, obviously was a win but if you were to ask a Tennessee basketball fan in 2019 what the most welcome sight that they could experience would be, it would be people wearing Kentucky blue exiting Thompson Bowling Arena with more than three minutes left on the clock because the Wildcats fans knew this thing was over. And it was. And it was tough because you kept waiting to see Kentucky make a run because we've seen this movie before, and it just never came. More assists from Tennessee. More steals. Five more for Tennessee. Equal number of blocks. How about the turnover discrepancy? 17 Kentucky turnovers in this game to five for Tennessee. Fouls were in favor of Kentucky. But the Wildcats going five for 19 from three and 14 to 44 from the field. That's just not going to get it done. They took 15 more free throws, did Kentucky, than Tennessee in this game. And they made 10 more. Imagine if this officiating crew had not been... I'm here to tell you, folks, there were some terrible calls in this game that went in Kentucky's favor. Not all of them, but five, I would say, is probably a reasonable number of calls that were subjective at best and ones that I probably don't make. And Tennessee probably got away with one or two in their own. But 19 for 29 from the free throw line on the road for Kentucky... Tennessee at home playing more aggressively on both ends, 9 of 14. But they still won the game by 19 points, 71 to 52. And now Tennessee and LSU sit atop the standings in the SEC. So we don't know how this is going to play out, do we? All Tennessee can control is turning 26 and 3 into 28 and 3 before the SEC tournament begins. And I think that when you look at this, you look at three teams in the conference, Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee. Who do you feel better about? And then is there some outlier that's going to cause havoc in the tournament? These conference tournaments can be interesting beasts because really their exhibitions sort of but Tennessee fourteen and two, LSU fourteen and two, Kentucky now thirteen and three, and Tennessee's opponent this week, Mississippi State nine and seven in a logjam of five teams. Mississippi State and Auburn are the two remaining teams on the schedule for Tennessee. They're both nine and seven in conference, joined by Ole Miss, Florida, and South Carolina. Overall, Mississippi State twenty-one and eight. That's not an easy basketball game. Should be a good basketball game, but not an easy basketball game for Tennessee. Especially when you come off that high, you've got to show up and you've got to make sure that people realize what happened on Saturday was not an aberration. It was this team finally answering the bell that they had not answered since they got beat down in Lexington. It felt believable that before either one of those two games were played between Kentucky and Tennessee, that they were likely to split those two games. And that's what's happened. Are we going to see a rubber match? Feels like we have a good chance. But there are some other teams that can cause problems. The SEC championship, the SEC tournament as a whole is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. But there's still a little bit of business that needs to be taken care of for all of these teams before they get to Nashville. And it's going to be quite a scene, to be sure. But coming up tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Coverage right here on 104.5 The Zone. Tennessee's, it's senior night. It's the last home game of the year. Mississippi State, a good basketball team against Tennessee, coming off the biggest win they've had in a long time. And one of the probably one of the biggest games that's ever been played in that facility, played on Saturday. And they could not have played better in front of a national TV audience on CBS. Being there in person, that was an amazing atmosphere. But this should give you a lot of hope, Vols fans. Up next, social media and whether or not we were ever designed to live in this world this is a big six on 104.5 The Zone welcome back in big six here on 104.5 The Zone I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone which is an interesting thing for me to say based on where I'm headed next We're brought to you by Renter's Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on a path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company. So Adam Silver has said things, and he's been more candid than most when it comes to being a commissioner in his role, talking about the condition of his sport, condition of his players. He was doing a panel discussion at MIT Sloan's Sports Analytics Conference. On Friday afternoon. And he was talking about mental health as it relates to NBA players. And, you know, we know about Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan coming out and say, look, we're bat- we've been battling anxiety and also depression. We saw Ty Lue having to have to exit because of panic attacks. These things are real. And what Silver said was, when I meet with them, what surprises me is that they're truly unhappy. A lot of these young men are generally unhappy. I think it's less calculated than a lot of people think. The, real, the reality is that most don't want to play together. Here he's talking about how isolated all of these players are. He says there's enormous jealousy amongst our players. And then, in the particular article, talking about melancholy and loneliness being pervasive across the NBA. There's no camaraderie. There's no team building like there used to be. He says if you're around a team in this day and age, there are always headphones on. The players are isolated, and they have their heads down. He points back to the Jordan Bulls teams, called them a band of brothers. They strengthened their relationships. They traveled together. They lived together. They knew each other, and that that's just not the way that it is anymore. And he talked about the fame and the trappings that go with fame, and Zion Williamson having a camera put in his face every time he steps out of his own door and that he doesn't even have the opportunity to be anonymous if he wanted to be at this point. Nowhere he can go where someone is not paying attention to the fact that Zion Williamson is there. And, of course, he commented on Kevin Love, and he commented on DeMar DeRozan. And then he talked about social media. Most importantly about, he made the argument that Michael Jordan could make mistakes at Carolina and nobody would have known about him. They weren't all magnified. You were able to live your life in privacy in many respects. Now, the glitz would get larger, the cameras would get bigger, but we didn't live in a 24 7 social media society. And this is just where I want to stop because you can apply what's happened to the NBA to what's happened to the NFL. Antonio Brown's the one they need to put out every thought he has about the Pittsburgh Steelers to try and force his way out of town. Or lowers trade value to make it easier to get him out of there or whatever it might be. But I've talked about before social media being a double edged sword. But the more and more that I engage in that world, the more and more I wish that I didn't have to. Because I'm starting to think maybe it's not really a double edged sword. It's good. Is well, you know what? Is it good? to be in constant communication with other people. Let me lay this out for you a little bit. Social media is not real life. It's not the real world. When you base decisions based on what you're seeing on social media, you're basing it on a vast minority of this country. You may think everybody is on Twitter. You may think everybody is on Facebook. You may think everybody is on Instagram, but they're not. Many people in this world simply live their lives and make it a point to live a quiet life. And like it that way. I was somebody that, you know, when I started in this business, I thought, man, I need to have a big voice. I need to have a big platform. I need to have all of these things that I thought were super important. And what I've found is, as I have achieved whatever it is that I have achieved by the grace of my Lord and Savior, I have cared less and less about those things. But I still find myself gravitating back towards pride and everything else. So there's an intense jealousy in the NBA between players. And if you're on social media a lot, there's probably a lot of envy in you. Because how could there not be? In the mornings, when I wake up, I have to think, hey, don't pick up the phone. There are people that you don't need to hear from. And there are certainly, you don't need the news as soon as you wake up. You may think you do, but you don't. You might need to know the weather, but really you might not even need to know the weather. It's a personal choice for me, but I try to give God the first word each morning before I even climb out of bed. I want him to have access to me before the world can. And I want to be able to actually collect my thoughts. My thoughts. You wonder why the generation that came before didn't have all of these depression issues. It's not that no one did, but not nearly as many people dealt with these mental health issues, I don't think at least. This is an undiagnosed opinion from an amateur. But it seemed like people were just generally happier and there was more peace In Just everyday life and you have to wonder something were we created was this world supposed to exist where we were in constant communication with other people where we felt like 24 7 365 they needed to hear every waking thought we had and we needed to have access to them at all times. What good has come out of that? Yes. It helps in cases of emergency to be able to text message or to have a phone in front of you. But the thing is, I survived pretty effectively for the first 18 years of my life without a cell phone. Before cell phones existed and even after when I didn't have one until my parents you know, bought a trio for the family. And we had like an hour that we had per month just to use for emergencies. Now if I'm not in constant communication with someone, I'm wondering if I've done something wrong. And it takes time to actually train yourself out of that. It's why I've gone on social media blackouts, even in this job, taking weekends off, taking full weeks off, just to see what the condition of my mind or my heart or my spirit is when I simply just live my life interacting with the people closest to me that I care most about and interacting on a spiritual level with the one person that should always have access to me and does have access to me, regardless of whether or not there's a phone or any device in front of me. And I've said before, when you get on social media within five minutes, you're jealous, you're prideful, you're considering exaggerating a story, you get angry at something someone else has said, none of these emotions are particularly good. Now, you're going to find out, like today, and it wasn't great news, that Luke Perry suffered a massive stroke and passed away at age 52. And then you're going to fire out that, rest in peace. He was a legend, one of the most important drama series of my childhood. I watched every season that tweet that everybody else is sending out. And then I don't know what you're going to do after that. But if you're not on social media, or if you just stop doing certain things in your life, what I'm discovering is the idea that you feel like you're missing something starts to actually dissipate because you don't even know what you're missing. And some people say, oh, you don't know what you're missing. That's actually great. Ignorance actually is bliss when it comes to this. So all these basketball players and all these athletes that are constantly in the public eye are constantly in the public eye because the public eye is constantly on them and paying attention. And so many folks are out there looking for them to fail just to make themselves feel better. One of the first things I did on this show was change my Twitter account from at Jmart Outkick to at JmartZone. And because of Twitter rules, when I did that, I lost my verification and my blue check mark, which is the status symbol, I guess, for Twitter. And that was harder than it should have been. Because I didn't want to lose that check mark because it gave me some perceived importance in my own head. I still don't have it. Their verification system went down for the election, and they still have not brought it back as they were working through some other things. The reason I know that is because, unfortunately, once every couple of weeks, pride gets better of me, and I really want that checkmark and that status symbol, so I go and I try to find out if the forms back open, or I send a message to Twitter support trying to tell them, hey, I used to have a checkmark. Can I get it back? And, of course, no one ever responds. And I think that's actually a blessing. It's kind of training me out of this. Because I'm not sitting here proselytizing or preaching behind this microphone as if I'm not guilty. I'm more guilty than all of you, potentially. But we're all guilty of our own pride and we're all guilty of these things. But we would not be nearly as jealous of people if we did not see every great thing that they're doing and vice versa on social media platforms. All you see is the best version of someone, the version that they want you to see, the cleaned up version, the photoshopped version, the one that edits out all the blemishes. You don't see the worst photos. They'll take 50 photos. You'll see the best one. The other 49 might actually be more real. You meet somebody on a dating app. The photo you meet, the photo you see is nowhere near the person that you actually get, even if the photo is legit. It's still the best photo that they can find. They're trying to put their best foot forward, and so are you. You don't put the shots of your kid crying. You put the ones of him smiling and you know all of those things. It's a fake world. It's a fictitious world, and it's a world that breeds jealousy. I don't think that we were meant, ladies and gentlemen, to have 24-7 access to everybody else. I don't think we were meant... To have 16 televisions on all the time, constant soundtrack in the background of our lives. And this is unfathomable that I would say something like this. Based on everything that I thought was important throughout most of my life, I thought that the TV and the film and the music and all of this pop culture that you know, I've written about for the last half decade and that many of you know me for, that that stuff was so important that that stuff was, was part of my identity, me knowing that stuff and knowing everything about it, and trivia and all of these things. And what I'm coming to find out is that's absolutely not the case. As many great movies as I go to, as many experiences as I've had, as panel discussions or whatever it is, podcasts that I'm doing, I had an absolute blast over the last month with my good friend Brad Willis doing this Friends podcast that we did. And we're about to do an, a month on The Office with Rhett Brian and David Reed. And that is also going to be so much fun to do. But my identity no more is wrapped up in how many followers I have. And I have to train myself in this. Because it's real easy to slip back into, well, how many followers do you have? But these NBA players that are isolated, it's not because there's a camera in their face all the time. It's because you can't escape communication. You can't just get away. Just a quick personal note on this. My girlfriend and I, we do a lot of things and we go to a lot of events and we have a lot of fun and you know, we have quiet dinners at a dining table and they're wonderful, but without question, the most meaningful, the most intimate and the most rewarding experiences that the two of us have together is when we take walks outside without our devices. It's not a conscious choice not to have our devices. In fact, it's probably in our pockets at all times. And if there's an emergency, there's an emergency. But at some point, we have to realize that for centuries, people got by just fine without constant access and constant communication and the world being able to get to you through this screen in your pocket. When we shut that stuff away, we can start to realize that we were never really that important to begin with. And then we can actually look around us and see what is. And when you're out there in the middle of nature and you're walking and you're talking with someone that you love about their day or about your family or about your childhood and your upbringing and you're telling stories and you're getting to know one another and you're having real experiences that don't center around, hey, let me tell you what I just found on Twitter. The jealousy goes away. Keeping up with the Joneses, the idea of that, yeah, you're going to see that your neighbor has a better riding mower than you, and you're going to want that. And that's going to be a struggle that you're going to have your entire life. We live in a broken world. But if I'm not on social media, I'm not seeing all of this other stuff. And these NBA players that are trying to outdo one another and the isolation that's being created and the depression that's being created. If you want the best answer... To just make yourself feel better in this life, just turn the phone off and live your life and be around the people that you care about and don't get caught up in the trappings of stuff. Just live. I promise, no one needs you bad enough that you need that phone on 24 hours a day. It is a prison. And you don't even realize it. A lot of depression, I think, could be lessened. Maybe not cured, but lessened. If we just stopped long enough to breathe. And we did not worry every 30 seconds about what we think we are missing. Because what we're missing every time we look in the screen is what's actually in front of us life is precious and we are so content it seems like to just let it pass by while we're living vicariously through someone else or we're trying to prop ourselves up in a way that at some point is not going to matter and certainly is not going to fulfill us just food for thought we'll be right back big six 104.5 the zone (laughs) Have you with us here on a Monday, a very cold Monday, but the sun was shining today, so we got that going for us, which is nice. This is the Big Six here on 1045 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin, I'm on Twitter at JMartZone. Thank you for joining me. You can hit me up there. Pop Six The Office. We're going to do a month on The Office. Red Bryan and David Reed are going to join me. We just finished four straight weeks of Friends. Had an absolute blast with Brad Wills, the program director here at The Zone, my very, very good friend just reminiscing about all 10 seasons of the show over a month. And what we did at the end of those podcasts, we're going to do at the end of every one of these deep dive series, and that is we're going to do a draft. We did a 15-round friends character draft, NFL-style alternating picks. We flipped a coin to see who went first, and we put together teams of characters, 15 a piece, and then we sort of decided who won. And actually, according to Brad, it came down to the final pick, and I was able to win it because I snatched – what he wanted which was the chicken and the duck and it was a pretty adept play by me to be sure but we're going to do that every time these drafts are something that me and a friend of mine did on the original pop culture podcast that we did years and years ago called certifiable total recall you can actually still find that out there we did a draft for 24 and we did a draft for lost and i don't i'm not saying we invented the concept i'm sure somebody has done this before we did it but it's going to be the pop sixes thing and it's it was always well-received when we did it, and it's so much fun to do on our end as well. And then it opens up the debate of when you reach, when you pick Roberto Aguayo, for example. and So all the people that, that have heard the fourth episode of the show, which was over two hours long that we recorded last week to polish off the Friends cast, some of them have chimed in at J-Mart Zone at 104.5 The Zone, and let us know how they would have picked it. And incidentally, the first six, you knew who they were going to be because it was the six main characters, But I've had people now mention five of the six that they would have taken number one. And none of them took who I took number one because I won the coin toss. So that's fun. And uh, we're going to keep expanding the pop six and having a lot of fun with the pop six. Later this week, my review of Captain Marvel, which I'll be screening tomorrow night. Excited to see what Marvel's got for us about a month or so before Endgame comes out and see what Brie Larson does in that role. Not a character I know very well, Sometimes that works out well. Didn't know much about Guardians of the Galaxy. That film turned out pretty great. I think we all know that. Another thing we know is that the Los Angeles Lakers are struggling. Tonight they play the Clippers. Clippers are four and a half games ahead of them, tied with the Spurs, or they were, for the final playoff spot in the West. I know this is not riveting talk for you to get into this, but this part of it will be, and that is, should LeBron James even be playing basketball for the rest of this season? He went to L.A. not for basketball reasons. So why should he kill himself playing basketball when his team's probably not going to make the playoffs? He's continually talked about how they're not very good, that he thought that they were going to be better than this, that he's all about chemistry and camaraderie, all while he's trying to trade half the team to get Anthony Davis. This was a long game, not a short game. It's about next year, presuming that they can get a couple of star players and change this roster around. Luke Walton's going to be gone. Probably should be fired now, honestly and I think it would be a mercy killing at this point because it can't be fun to be Luke Walton. Gets blamed for absolutely everything, and sometimes it's deservedly so. His substitution patterns on Friday night against the Bucks were abysmal, but I, I don't even know where his mental capabilities could be based on the pressure he's under and how unfun it probably is to coach LeBron. But I don't know with LeBron dealing with the groin injury, missing 18-19 games earlier this year, at his age... How many miles are already on those tires? I don't know what you benefit by having him play out the stretch run of this season and not just letting him get some extra rest for next year. He's played more than an entire extra basketball season just in the postseason alone. Could they maybe scoot into the playoffs this year? Possibly, but they're not going to win 50 games. They can't, actually. At this point, there's not enough games left for them to get there. I'm not sure, folks, that they're going to win 40, even if LeBron were to play all those games. They lost on Saturday night, ladies and gentlemen, to the Phoenix Suns by nine. The Phoenix Suns are 13-51, and I believe. Worst team in the NBA. Had lost 19 of their last 20 games and got right with LeBron James playing 41 minutes on Saturday night. And scoring 27 points. And JaVale McGee, of all people, perfect from the field, went 10 for 10, had 21 and 7, maybe the best game of his career. And they still lost by 9 to the worst team in the NBA. A team where all the articles that you've read over the last few weeks is that that team is beyond repair right now, the Phoenix Suns. DeAndre Ayton had 26, guarded LeBron James, made it tough on him. LeBron tried to just will his team to a victory at the end and couldn't do it. So why are we putting forth the effort for a team that if they do get into the playoffs is just going to get the brakes beaten off of them anyway? I shut that guy down. And if I'm LeBron, who I think has one of the highest basketball IQs in the history of the sport, I shut myself down. The only reason he can is because some people are going to make a perception and optics argument, but who cares what people's arguments are? What's smart for this organization? Protect the asset. Go ahead and get your new coach. I would just go ahead and let Luke Walton go right now. Go ahead and let him get out of there. Let him have his life back. Shut this thing down. Let the young players play for the rest of the season. Let LeBron really get healthy. And spend this offseason getting better from a personnel standpoint. See what free agents you can land. See if you can get Klay Thompson out of Golden State. Make the play for Anthony Davis. Make the play for Kyrie Irving. Make the play for Kevin Durant, who won't go there. Make your play for the future. But you're not going to get into the playoffs now. So I don't know that there is an advantage whatsoever to doing anything other than shutting LeBron James down. I don't know how much he even cares at this point. He talked about how he was playoff mode activated. They beat the Rockets the night that he made those statements, and that was a of win. And since that point, they've won one other game including losses to a Pelicans team without Anthony Davis playing and the Memphis Grizzlies, and now the Phoenix Suns. Since he went playoff mode activated, and since he called out teammates for letting distractions get to them, they've won one basketball game against Memphis. It's time to shut this thing down. This is Dirk Nowitzki territory, folks. Shut it down. Let's go home. LeBron... I don't I don't think there is anything at this point to be gained by LeBron James playing another minute this season in a Lakers uniform because there's a lot to be gained by him playing in a Lakers uniform next season based on whatever it is that the organization is going to be able to do in the offseason. This is death by a million paper cuts right now for the Lakers. Maybe LeBron wills them to 45 wins. I have no idea how that's possible. Because they're three and seven in their last 10, and they're not, it hasn't been a murderer's row, and there's a lot of tough games coming. They got to play Golden State again. They've got to play Oklahoma City on the road. They got to play the Clippers twice. They've got to play the Blazers. They've got to play the Jazz twice, once on the road in Utah. They play against Denver later this week. Every one of the games that I just laid out in that list, just off the top of my head, probably going to be losses. This season is over. Move on sit him down for the future it's the only thing that makes sense coming up pro and con including my new favorite guy in sports media not named charles barkley you're gonna like this it's next big six rolling along here on monday here on 104.5 the zone final segment big six here on 104.5 the zone a little abbreviated i know we went long in that second segment you missed that, download the podcast, subscribe, Big Six with Jason Martin, find it on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, everywhere that you get your podcast. wherever that is, Stitcher, and uh, you can get the full archive there right after the show goes off. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. All right, pro and con, something I love, something I don't love. I'm just going to make it easy today. I love Steve Smith. Steve Smith is to the NFL with Charles Barkley, has been in the media to the NBA. Steve Smith has no chill in that he does not care who he offends, and he's just so blatantly honest. I don't even even know if he realizes how good he is, and that's why he's good, because he says what other people either are afraid to say or simply stop themselves from saying. There's no filter in Steve Smith. Two examples for you. One, him talking about Jason Witten deciding to leave television, leave the broadcast booth, and go back to the Dallas Cowboys. Here's Steve Smith during the combine where both of these two pieces of audio came from discussing Jason Witten as only Steve Smith can. Jason Witten came back, Steve. Any thoughts? <laughs> you want the truth about that, or you want me to oh, let that go? No, I want the truth. I, no, I, no, 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 about you, not Witten. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm good. That's what he meant. Oh, okay. I thought Steve was telling me maybe no, there was maybe, no. a surprise coming our oh, way Oh, no, here. there's not no surprise. I'm actually good on TV, so I'm just going to stay here. Oh, Sorry. i try to save. I, I tried to save Rick. all of us, Daniel. I know. I'm sorry. I blew right to the... In case you didn't hear that, Steve Smith said, I'm actually good on TV, so I'm going to stay here. He is good on TV. He's right. That's incredible, folks. Absolutely incredible. And so honest. He didn't even realize what he's doing right there. And it got better. There's something called a gauntlet drill done at the combine for wide receivers where they basically turn around in both directions, 180 degrees, and there's quarterbacks on both sides throwing the football, and it's to get their hands and, you know, how agile they are. And so they, they take two from the sideline, and then they run a little bit onto the field, and then they take two more, and then they take two two more. And you're just watching. It's just catch and drop, catch and drop, catch and drop, catch and drop. Well, Tyree Jackson, who played at Buffalo, not the Bills, the Bulls, in, uh, in college, he's a prospect. He's one of the quarterbacks, and it's quarterback prospects throwing you the football here. Well, he was throwing too hard, and the receivers were having a lot of difficulty catching the ball. And Steve Smith... Had about enough, and just listen to this. This is the greatest piece of audio this show has ever run. I think maybe with the exception of that Chris Pratt stuff that we played last week and the Tim Tebow comments. But listen to Steve Smith Jr. become Steve Smith Jr. media superstar right before your very eyes. I know this is a, a job interview, but somebody needs to throw it back back to Jackson One good time. He'll get will get the message. Steve, you going down to talk to him? people money over here. Steve is going to man say so he's trying to get a star. Steve, Steve, uh, Steve, did you tell Tyree so, Jackson? that he's, uh, he's going to tell Here he goes. Where there he does. goes right up there. <laughs> uh, could you imagine <laughs> <it>? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's a good ball, Steve. Go. T- t- Man, we over here trying to make millions of dollars. He over there throwing <laughs> ball so hard. You're kid, you're That's Steve Smith getting up from a live broadcast on the NFL Network during the Combine and going over to Tyree Jackson, telling him stop throwing the ball so hard. And then coming back and saying, we out here trying to make millions of dollars and he's BSing. Steve Smith still thinks he's in the league, folks. He he thinks he's about to roll out there, put on one of those shirts, and go through that gauntlet drill. And he's not having this Tyree Jackson throwing bullets like he's John Elway at the combine mess. So he gets up, he takes his headset off, and he walks over and he does that. Michael Irvin's the one that was cackling there. And then Steve Smith comes back and explains it. And guess what? The next pass... Tyree Jackson through beautiful and Steve Smith started applauding on the air he's like that's what I'm talking about Jackson no that's what I'm talking about Steve Smith Steve Smith is a pro and don't throw uncatchable balls at the combine when wide receivers are trying to show their stuff that's the con that's how easy this segment was today I had other cons but this one all goes to Steve Smith absolutely outstanding. I will see you tomorrow. I'm Jason Martin. This has been The Big Six. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.